Hello, everybody out there. Uh, I'm Carol Naprol. Welcome to the latest edition of Volley. I'm looking for my good buddy, Seth. Seth Robinson, where are you? Hey, how are you doing? I am doing very well. Thank you. Surviving the remnants of the hurricane. I'm way up in New England, but as as you know, but uh, we've got bad rain all week long. Mm. And it's because of that. Yeah. So it's a little bit dreary here, but um, I'm looking forward to fall. Yeah, my parents live in Charlotte, and the last time I talked to them, they weren't getting too much, but then they left on, like, Monday for Orlando, and uh, that (laughs) that would have maybe worried me a little bit. I don't know if I would have wanted to leave, you know, before everything was completely settled, but hopefully it's okay for them. Yeah, I guess because the rain was lingering down there, that's where all the flooding was going to happen after the storm was almost gone. Yeah, that's that's a terrible situation down there, I feel feel horribly for seems all those. Like it, yeah, it seems like it's happening more and more. Um, yeah, so it is. We we could do an episode on climate change if you'd like someday. Oh, well, that's uh, that could be a topic for <laughs> another day. Uh, it could. It could. But for today, we have another guest with us. Uh, yes. We uh, have not talked a whole lot about some of the things that CompTIA does on the philanthropic side. And today we have with us Charles Eaton who's the Executive Vice President of Social Innovation at CompTIA, and then he also serves as the CEO of Creating IT Futures, which is a foundation that has been uh, attached to CompTIA for quite some time now. So, Charles, we're glad to have you on. Hey, thank you. Glad to be here. Welcome. I know whenever I'm you know, presenting, uh, especially to groups that are not familiar with CompTIA, you know, I you will usually try to give a very brief intro and say, you know, we you might know us from certifications, but we do a lot of other things, you know, like advocacy and philanthropy, and and a lot of times people just are not aware of those things at all. So uh, we're really glad to have you today. And uh, do you want to give a, a quick overview of what it is that you oversee? Yeah, um, you know, it is it is true, right? People know us, uh, you know, certification. They know us for the membership. Um, but the uh, you know as a nonprofit trade association, we take any profits that we make from any of our activities and we put it back into things that aren't necessarily revenue generating. And one of those is philanthropy. We give five percent annually of our revenues, not profits, revenues uh, to philanthropy. So that's you know from three to three and a half million dollars. And we've uh, committed that uh, for the last couple of years. We've always done it, but we've sort of formalized this and we call it CompTIA giving. Um, and so we do it a few ways. Um, you know, we have a tech leaders giving circle where we ask uh, 200 tech leaders every year to, to give $1,000 that we donate to, on their behalf to a charity of their choice. And most of them are focused on getting people into the tech industry or helping kids in schools with you know coding, computers, tech experiences. Their member communities give uh, money away. Each community gets uh, $10,000 that they choose how they donate that. Um, and then we uh, we do a lot of uh, you know other little giving, um, and most of the money goes to creating anti futures because we're we're program focused. So it's a wide breadth of stuff, and um, it's again one of the most fun things you can do is uh, to be able to impact organizations, small and large, through you know not only the money but also the connections that we make for them, the kind of consulting that we can provide inside. So a lot of stuff going on. No, that's fantastic. I, I I really would like to know even more about um you know what you what you guys are doing. And I wonder, Charles, if you could give us like one anecdote or one example uh, where 
where we have given, you know, Kamtia has given money to an organization or a school or whatever it is, and then kind of tease that out from beginning to end where you see some results. Yeah, the uh, there's there's a, a few of those out there. Recently, we've started working with the Technology Student Association, and we like to talk about how they're just sort of the best kept secret out there in the STEM world. These are this is an organization that has chapters. They're in schools. They have two hundred fifty thousand student members. And the schools really manage the activity. So there's a, a, a teacher who is a, a chapter advisor, and they do competitions uh, throughout the year. Um, and if you do pretty well, you can go to your state competition, and then you can go to the national one. And the, the greatest group of kids, again, ranging middle school all the way up to seniors in high school. So we you know, discovered them, you know, again, 250,000 kids. You don't <laughs> think you'd have to discover something like that, right? But but no one we talked to knew who they were. Um, even when we, we found out about them, we asked around. And so we've gotten engaged with them, and it's been just a little over a year. And uh, I was just at a meeting with them here in uh, Western Virginia. And the amount of stuff that we've been able to do, they have research and surveys that uh, we were able to help fund that um, they've never uh, gathered this kind of data. We are advancing them into new states. Um, we have uh, been to uh, their national conference a couple times, and, and Todd CompTIA CEOs uh, uh, spoke and, and keynoted the last one. So we've been able to sort of impart, like, you know, just some validation, like, hey, here's a group of, of you know, an industry organization that thinks you guys are amazing. Um, and what we're starting to see, too, now is, is you know, people recognizing that they're a bigger deal than maybe they imagined. Uh, so at the local level, you know, we're, we're seeing the, um, the kind of excitement around being part of TSA growing and you know, we imagine that they'll be the most important of these kind of student organizations that exist. Department of Education sort of validates about, about eight or nine organizations in different areas. And we feel uh, technology certainly has the, the biggest role to play in the future. And, and TSA, funny uh, nickname, I always have to correct people about which <laughs> TSA I'm talking about. But, um, you know, we've just, we, we see them as the, uh, the future pipeline. Uh, for our industry. And uh, so we're giving them a lot of love and the money is, is just part of it. But we've engaged so many staff people across CompTIA in activities and social media work and, and everything. So I think it's just one of those examples when we come in and we find a great partner who is willing to work with us. And for them, the money is uh, not, almost not as important as the attention and the time and energy that we're putting in. It just meant a, a ton to them. I'm curious, do they track these kids after they leave or they graduate high school and, and, and monitor the type of career they go into, the colleges or the, you know, the academia that they pursue? Yeah, that's been one of the problems, right? And that's one of the things that we're bringing to the table well, with them is that um, you know, ability to start to do that. Frankly, they don't have the contact because the, everything comes to these chapters and the chapter advisors. So they don't have as much contact with the rank and file of their membership as they would like. So one of the things we're doing is, you know, our, our uh, input of, uh, of financial resources will allow them to start to do more of that, connect in more strongly with these chapter advisors so we can find out what's going on um, and where kids are going. But, you know, we do see it at the, uh, at the top levels, like their leadership, the student leadership, um, and, you know, the kids are going to into STEM careers, into engineering careers, a lot of them. But we're trying to, now they're so interested in IT as an organization that it wasn't a space that they played as strongly in 
and now we're we're bringing that to the table and talking about you know what can you do in the future certifications how can you be prepared if you go to college that what your job is if you don't go to college what your job might be so we i've seen the full range of these kids too you know like some are like no i'm going to my state school and i'm going to do this inside my state and a few of them are like i'm going to princeton you know so <laughs> it's a it's a wide it's a wide range there uh i just awesome kids i just keep thinking uh you know some people have done uh, done some things right with the kids that i've met um who you know you can see being future leaders that's for sure well, and the other place that I'm wondering if you're seeing a range and some variety is in the types of kids that are starting to come in to the technology field or to, or to show some interest in technology. I know that you mentioned we're not just you know giving money, we're giving some of our expertise as well. And I think part of that expertise, you know, we've done some research on it, you've written a book on it, is this idea that STEM careers can be open to a lot more people than maybe the traditional type of person that would have been interested in a STEM career, you know, so your math and science, whatever, there's a lot more breadth there. Uh, And so are you seeing some of that variety as well? Are you seeing that the students are starting to recognize that technology is kind of invading every career and whatever they're interested in, they can still be interested in technology as well? Yeah, we're, we're totally seeing that, right? So a lot of the work we, we're doing and with our Next Up initiative, which is focused on how do we build this pipeline of young people and get them excited about tech careers, is uh, is focused on middle school kids because we've recognized that that's where we need to hit them while they're still sort of dreaming and they're open to a whole lot of things, and especially girls. I mean, all the data tells us and the research tells us that you know girls start to self-select out of these STEM careers if they don't have good experiences before high school. And so we work closely with Tech Girls, another terrific group that uh, is creating a curriculum that can be delivered by volunteers in relatively short, like three-hour workshops on weekends or in evenings. And so, you know, it gets a lot of girls in there and gets them interested. But we are seeing that more people are thinking about the other variety of ways. And parents are starting to learn more about this. Again, why I wrote the book, right? It really is a guide for parents. You know, you got to be thinking for your kids that they can work in fashion, in agriculture, in banking, whatever, and they're in, they can be in tech. It doesn't mean that they have to go and work at, at Google or Facebook. So when you go to these TSA events, you see it's probably 40 to 45 percent girls. Yet when I talk to the girls and I ask them a lot of questions when I when I go to these events and uh, I find out they're one of one or two in an engineering class in high school. So, you know, the, the we've got a lot of work to do, right? TSA is great. It brings them all together, gives them a community. And that's what Tech Girls is doing is give them a community. But, you know, when they get back into the schools, sometimes they're uh, still alone in mm-hmm. that. And we're also looking at organizations that are doing a really great job of bringing in more racial diversity. So, you know, those are the things that we try to look at is, like, you know, who's, who's doing well with this? And frankly, most of the stuff right now is very focused on coding. Um, you get girls who code, black girls code. There's a lot of coding organizations and very few besides Tech Girls and TSA and this group we, um, we were working with at Northwestern University Fuse are bringing this broader sense of what tech is about, you know, from data analysis to business analysis to cybersecurity, networks, servers, all of that. No one's telling that story. And so that's where we're staying focused is, is telling that story. Now, do you also work with any groups in terms of people who are post-grad, they may already be in careers, um, they're underemployed, and they're looking to do something different? I don't know if you get into that realm. I know that is a focus area for Contia in general, 
but I know that was something that you that you're you, you're working with as well. Yeah, so we uh, that really is our IT ready program under creating IT futures. So for a while there, we were working on our own program, which became IT Ready. And then we were also supporting uh, some others. And we've kind of whittled down the number of organizations that we support. The uh, The top one is uh, is Perscolis, uh, which is based out of New York, but has operations in seven cities and is continuing to grow. And uh, they serve this, you know, out of work or you know, career changer population who are lower income, need, need help to be able to get through these program a boot camp program where you're able to uh, to get into the uh, to a tech job so that's what it ready does as well and for a while there again like i said we were supporting others but we decided we found out that there's so much need around the country that we need to start growing ourselves and, and we tried to give it away to others and we just found that that organizations unless they had this baked into their dna you know where they were a workforce organization around tech, and that was only a handful. Perscola's Empower, Tech Impact, uh, the Stride Center in, in Oakland, small, small number that had any presence, uh, you know, in their areas or nationally. And it's like, okay, it's up to us to get this done. And so we grew to you know, from Minneapolis, where we've been since 2012, and we have over uh, served over 500 people in that market. Now we're in Charlotte, uh, Portland, Oregon, um, and it looks like we'll be expanding to two more cities um, still to be determined. We have a good funding opportunity on, in the works here. But the idea is that, you know, eight-week boot camp gets someone ready for a tech support job, and then they grow from there. Um, we're seeing so many of our students after three years in cybersecurity. Uh, so, you know, this this space is enormous um, in terms of, you know, what people need. But whereas the coding boot camps are very focused on people who have college degrees and, um, you know, or have the money to, you know, to spend uh, twelve to $15,000 to go to a, a boot camp, ours is 100% for free. And we're focused on people who primarily don't have college degrees. Uh, in fact, we find our students who probably do the best are the ones with a little bit of college or an associate's degree. They're very hungry. And uh, they uh, tend to uh, tend to perform really well in this kind of a program. I know we uh, at CompTIA had a big release a couple weeks ago with Todd and, and Google and Apple had kind of announced that they were no longer requiring college degrees. And that's gotten a lot of focus in the tech industry. And, and you just mentioned it yourself. Uh, what are you seeing from the employer perspective? You know, op- those big ones just made big announcements, but there are a ton of employers out there. Is there starting to be a little bit more recognition that that college degree is not the only pathway into a successful career? Mm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Right. It, it, you're seeing recognition now. Are we going to actually see results uh, I'll, I'll wait and see on that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's one thing to say it. Uh, let's start to see. You know, who who are these organizations actually hiring? But I think that 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 you got to go that first step, right? You got to go the first step and say, let's just eliminate this from the requirements document. Doesn't correlate probably to success. But you know, the reality is, you know, a lot of the people who are going to be applying will have college degrees for these jobs. People, there's a confidence gap. You know, if you don't have that college degree, but you've got you're sort of self-taught or you've been to a, a, a boot camp like IT Ready, you, you you might not still have that confidence level uh, to get in. And also, 
got to have some experience, right? Most of these jobs, um, even the ones that don't require a degree, are still going to ask for a certain amount of experience. And I think what we're seeing the shift is is um, more of the smaller companies are willing to accept people and train them up in their own process, but they need that pre-employment training, right? They need something like IT Ready that gives the employer some confidence that, okay, well, I know this person's worked really hard. Like, for example, in IT Ready, if you miss more than two days out of the eight weeks of training, you are removed from the program. You know, no excuses. And employers love that. They love knowing that they're going to get someone who at least showed up for all but one day of eight weeks, right? And that has played out, right? Our people tend not to have any problems with attendance. Um, so, you know, employers keep coming back and hiring. Where the challenge is going to be is, you know, again, getting people, the hiring managers to agree that they can do more training or preparation on the job. Right? So they don't need that two years of experience. And just the tight labor market is, is forcing that in many cases where um, you know, the, everyone's fighting over the same people. Just you know, how are these jobs being filled? By taking someone who's already in a similar job and hiring them at your company and paying them a little bit more money, better benefits or whatever. So some companies are always going to lose in that, right? They're not going to be able to pay as well or have the benefits. So those kind of are, are the places where I think a lot of uh, experience can be gained by entry-level workers. And those are the ones we're finding that are very open. They're like, look, if we keep the person for a year, it's fine, you know, as long as we have a steady pipeline coming in. And a lot of that might be working in uh, sort of the managed service side of the business as opposed to working at a, at a larger firm that has a big tech component like a J.P. Morgan Chase or something like that. They have their own programs and apprenticeship things that they're working on at, at the big banks. But um, we're seeing a lot of uh, activity at that lower level where where you know you can come in, you can do a fairly discreet job, you can learn, you can grow a little bit, and then maybe your next job is somewhere else. Kind of a follow-up to that. I, I don't know if you all have any programs around this, but I think you and I have talked about it. Uh, along with a more of an openness to the experience or the pathway that someone may have taken to get to an interview, do you see a little bit more openness to the style of interview changing? I know in the tech field, especially in software development, there's just a lot of angst out there about you know these whiteboard style interviews or the, the programmers that are conducting the interviews and they've maybe gotten in their head that there's one right way to do it. And maybe you need a little bit of diversity in that interviewing style. Are you starting to see any of that as well? Yeah, I, I think some of that unconscious bias um, mm -hmm. is being uh, challenged at companies and the at the level where you know, HR is saying, hey, let's go through and let's talk about, you know, why do you need this? Why do you do it this way? Is that really an indicator? I always use this story from a few years ago that was just indicative of what the problem is. It was a, a small relatively small company, probably about 50 employees, and mostly doing you know, tech service work, um, managed service work. The owner was telling me that he was struggling to find women. So I was probing, you know, asking, okay, what's your interview process like? He's like, well, you know, one of the big things is we ask if you've built your own gaming rig because, you know, <laughs> all of our folks who do really well, right? They've all built gaming rigs. It's like, well, that that might be, you know, he was looking at cause and effect, right? And you know, Carolyn, you're laughing there because it is pretty funny that way. The, you're just not going to find us women who have built their own gaming computers, right? Just 
that's just the reality out there. So, you know, I I bet you that maybe you change that, right? That maybe that's not the cause of why your folks are so great. That's just uh, coincidental mm-hmm. that so many people, you know, especially guys, will be doing that who have been hobbyists and and you know messing around. But that the problem solving and all the other skills that you need, you could find in other ways. So I think organizations are learning that they've been asking maybe the wrong set of questions. Right. It's not um, even just in the interview process, because I've done a lot of work with the diversity community here, and I've done a diversity study, but even in something as um, something like job descriptions, um, the way that, you know, you, you lay out the, what the job is and what the requirements are, are often un- unconsciously biased, you know, and women will read those job descriptions and say, oh, no, well, that's not a fit for me. Right. And, uh, and so I've been in a lot of meetings uh, over the last year or so with the diversity group. And that's one of the big things they talk about is during the recruitment process, it changing the way you interview and then even changing the way that you, um, you write up uh, a job description Yeah, is the way to attract people because you, you automatically exclude and you don't realize you're doing it. People don't apply for uh, who could be qualified for the job, but based purely on a mismatch in the communication of, of what that job is. Right. Well, you, you heard, uh, Caroline, at the uh, the panel that you were um, hosting uh, at ChannelCon, this is a software program called Textio that is going to try to remove some of the biased language from job descriptions. So it goes through and analyzes that and gives recommendations on how you can improve the yep. the um, job descriptions. But you're right, all that stuff is in there. So I'm seeing much more interest in a real level in solving this problem. We work with a a terrific organization, Tech Systems. They're probably the, I think they are the largest uh, staffing firm in in tech. And they have a pretty heavy focus on trying to bring more diverse candidates to their clients. So they're uh, financially supporting us uh, in a big way down in Charlotte. um, And that's got our IT Ready program up and running down there. But um, they're they're also seeing it from the clients. It's not like they're coming there with a solution that their clients don't want. Their clients want to figure this out, but a lot of the time, you know, they're not well prepared, and uh, and it's tough. You know, there's there's just habits and traditions and things that you don't recognize, like you said, uh, Carolyn, that uh, we have to uh, solve. Um, so it's a slow process, but commitments to doing this from the top level down are very important. Um, and you know, we look at. You know that layer of uh, not having a degree as a level of diversity, right? That's like you know yeah. another thing for us, which can you know correlate to 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 race as well um, in some cases. But it's just important, I think, to look at all the the several factors on that and be able to tackle those one by one because they're all going to have a different solution uh, that needs to be put into place. Well, I think because the the labor market, as you said, is so tight right now. Now is a perfect time. Um, to be looking at all of these alternatives and considering people who don't have college degrees. My only fear is when the economy turns in the other direction, if we fall back on old habits and start to, you know, then the market becomes more the employer's choice uh, versus being more of a uh, an employee's market. And it'll be interesting to see if we see anything swing in the other direction again. Yeah. Hopefully they'll have enough people from a variety of Backgrounds, educational backgrounds, racial backgrounds, more you know, more women in, where they can then go back and take a good uh, analytical look and say, wow, the, you know, those folks were high performers, right? Because that's almost always the case, right? I always start out when I talk to an employer, 
uh, about hiring an IT-ready student. And, and I ask them, tell me a story about someone who, you, you know, surprised you on the job or someone who came from a different background than you traditionally hire from. And, you know, it starts to open up and I start to every time I hear a story like, oh, this guy was a musician. And, uh, you know, he came in and, and uh, we didn't know if he would have the tech chops, but he just everything just worked and he had and it's almost always the soft skills right they always always gravitate in the story to tell you about how great this person was to work with how likable they were how they just went over and beyond uh, all the time and uh you know then i'm able to sort of pull them back in that conversation and say but that's exactly who we're bringing you with it ready these are people who are highly committed who have good soft skills that we've enhanced while they're in our program and, um, you know, I think that people are starting to get to the idea that, yeah, the technical stuff, we've got to find ways to teach it, learn, you know, uh, build it. But, um, you know, we've got to focus more on people who have those those good core foundational soft skills. Mm-hmm. And those are our employees of the future. So, you know, I, I, I'm hopeful as well that we don't see a, a switch back if it becomes more of an employer's market because, you know, they will have, we will have lost something in that process. Well, we've covered a pretty wide range here from, you know, middle school up through high school and, and what the students are doing into, you know, different paths that happen after high school into the workforce. All of this is critical stuff, you know, with so much fear about job displacement with technology, building that workforce for the future is super important. Um, just wondering if you had any other major initiatives that you wanted to touch on before we're wrapping up here? You know, again, uh, it's really focused IT ready and next up. Uh, I encourage people to go and visit the creatingitfutures.org website uh, to see our new site. It's heavily focused on on recruiting people for IT ready or for next up uh, programs. But um, we've got a lot of research in there. Um, it's something that's happening uh, every day in this industry. And, uh, you know, I think you, you hit on it right there. A lot of people have fears about automation. Um, you know, our message is make sure that you are tech ready uh, for any future job. It's got to be about, uh, and I'm, I'm coining this term of fanatical learning. It's, it's the idea that you can never stop learning. And then frankly, unlearning what you might have learned and then rebuilding yourself, right? You just as constant iterations of who you are as, a, as an employee, uh, as a professional. The problem we'll have is when people, you know, like they did, years ago, right? You saw all these mainframe programmers. They did not get other skills other than they knew COBOL, Fortran. And when their jobs went away, they couldn't transition to the desktop world and the PC world very easily. People have got to be ready for more consistent, constant change and not tie themselves to one particular technology, um, one particular you know type of role. The soft skills are going to be super important. And from there, you're just if you're always learning, I think you'll do just fine. Yeah, I like that idea of constant learning, especially in this fast-paced technology world. It's important, critical. That's great stuff, Charles. So glad you could join us. You'll have to come back next year, fill us in yeah. on what else is going on. I definitely love to come back and tell you about new stuff that we have going in 2019. That'd be great. Perfect. Well, thanks again for joining us, and uh, hope that you both have a great weekend. And Carolyn, I will talk to you next time. Sounds good. You as well. Thanks, guys.